This is a UC Public Policy Channel program from the Goldman School of Public Policy at UC Berkeley. Visit us at www.uctv.tv/public-policy for more discussion on solutions for the good of all. California Assembly Member uh, Shirley Nash Weber was born in Hope, Hope, Arkansas. That's yes. Bill Clinton was born there too. Uh, she is the sixth of eight children born to the late Mildred and David Nash. She was born to sharecroppers. By age 26, however, she was Dr. Shirley Weber with a BA, MA, and PhD in the area of speech communication from UCLA. By the age of 26, her specialization is movement studies in black nationalism. Uh, and she just built upon that early success. By age 23, she became a professor at San Diego State University while she was finishing her PhD, I presume. As one of the original faculty members, she has been responsible for the development of the Africana Department's curriculum and recruitment of faculty and students. Uh, She was administrator of the department in two stints. Uh, The department grew in national reputation and became one of the strongest undergraduate Africana Studies departments in the country. But that's not even the beginning. In fact, in 1988, Dr. Weber was elected to the San Diego Unified School Board, where she served two consecutive four-year terms until she retired in 1996. She made amazing progress and became extraordinarily knowledgeable about K-12 through education. She already had a great knowledge of higher education. Uh, she became very knowledgeable about K-12 through education in these two stints. For her service, she's received numerous awards from a host of organizations, including the NAACP, the Urban League, Negro Business and Professional Women, California Women in Government, National Council of Black Studies, National Women's Political Caucus, and many, many others. This is a person who is extraordinarily accomplished. She's now an assembly member from San Diego, and we're honored to have her as our commencement speaker, Dr. Shirley Weber. Thank you, and and good morning. morning. One more time. Good morning. morning. Okay, I think it's a good day. I think it's a great day. Obviously, it's your graduation, and you're to be commended for uh, the hard work that it takes in order to accomplish the things that have been, that you've set out to accomplish, and knowing that there'll be lots more to come. To Dean Bradley and to um, the members of the faculty uh, and staff who are present, thank you so very much for this invitation. Um, I know the selection of a graduation speaker is a, is a very difficult task, and I understand that you first set out to select the, the best and the smartest in your field, and the answer came back, no thank you. <laughs> then you said, at least we should have someone who's articulate. So you did that, and the response again was, got something else to do. <laughs> then you said, okay, well, at least get somebody to look good. And the response again was, no, thank you. So then I received a letter from one of your faculty and the staff, and I said, okay. My staff said, why are you agreeing to this? I said, my God, I turned them down three times, and they kept coming back. 
What am I to do? Let me just simply say that I'm honored to be here. <laughs> Graduation is a very special time, and I don't take it lightly. It truly is the journey of a lifetime for young people and for those and everyone else in the family. I commend your families because I know it takes a lot of love, it takes a lot of support, a lot of listening to young people and listening to spouses and others when they're involved in an educational experience. I've been, as I said, an educator since I was five years old on the back porch of the projects in Los Angeles when I got my first chalkboard. Some of you don't know what chalk is, but anyway, <laughs> it's like a whiteboard, but you know, you use, anyway. Um, well, I began to teach all my peers uh, and my friends. They, uh, they, I was, probably didn't know what I was doing. I was doing all their homework. Um, but I enjoyed school, and it was an important part of my life. So I want to congratulate all of you for this, for this extraordinary accomplishment. I don't take it lightly. You should not take it lightly because it will put you in a position to hopefully transform the world, change your life, make a difference. I often tell young people everywhere when we're, I speak at a lot of graduations that, you know, education changed my life. When you're born in the projects of Los Angeles in the Pueblos, you, well, you come live in the projects. I was born in Hope. And your father went as far as a sixth grade because that was all they were going to allow an African-American man to do because they felt he would work the fields of Arkansas forever. And so racism stopped him from going any further. And same was true with my mother who went as far as the ninth grade. But they came to California because California represented hope and opportunity. And they came here knowing that our school systems were good systems that our University of California and our CSUs and our community colleges were basically worldwide known in terms of their ability to help people who didn't have the resources to get the education necessary. And my father told me over and over, you get an education because that's one thing that racism cannot take from you. That when you get that degree, it will open doors and you can stand eye to eye with those who look at you differently. And you can transform not only them, but everyone around you. And so I commend you for, for the work that you're doing, that you have you put yourself in a position to really, really make a difference for so many. And you will not be able to, even at this point, imagine the journey that you will take. If someone had said to me, you're going to be an assemblywoman in California, I, said, I would have said, no way. They told me that I, they, if they said you would meet presidents and governors and all kinds of policy people around the world, I would say, not me. I'm this kid from the projects who didn't have books in our household but had books in her school, who didn't know a lot about what was going to happen to her, but her teachers had a vision for her greater than herself. And so it's extremely important that what you're doing, that you have no way to imagine where it's going to take you, but every experience is valuable and every experience you should grab. The unique thing is that we're, you're in California, and California is now becoming the most diverse state in the nation, with all of us coming together as one huge family. And that is being reflected in a whole lot of things. And it ought to be reflected in the policies that we make and the things that we do. You know, right now, the assembly uh, is over 50% African-American, Latinos, APIs, and women, and LGBT. And I remind them regularly uh, from whence we've come. And I remind them that people sent us to, Cal to the assembly not to do what was done before by 80 white men but what is going to be done by this diverse population that's going to be responsive to the needs of the people of California. And that with the numbers in our house, we can do anything we choose to do 
if we stay focused and get the work done at hand. So it's extremely important that you're here. A friend of mine uh, talked about the fact that it's important to be at the table, to make the decisions, to be a part of it. He had a saying that always says, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And that is so true. <laughs> so true. You will, find, you will be the victims of all of those who want to eat. And so you have to make sure that you're in there helping to make the decisions that are extremely important. I'm not going to talk very long because I know you have a lot of things to do and you want to get your stuff done. You want to get your degrees and you want to get out and you really want to open up the world. But, and we now are at a crossroad. But I want to challenge you, uh, the fact that you're at a crossroad. California, with all of its great things it's done in the past, I decided to run for the assembly because I was becoming frustrated with what was happening to our universities and our community colleges and our CSUs. And I didn't think and still don't really know if, if people, the legislature, fully understands the gift that we have in higher education, the gift that we have that is so powerful that really has formed California into what it is. And I don't know if they have the sense of urgency that I have that our K-12 system is failing our children and that we also have to rescue that system if we're going to sustain this system. And so it becomes a, a constant struggle to talk about change and how we're going to make change. And so I, want to, I really want to tell you a little bit about my journey in the assembly. And I've been known kind of as a change agent, a person who takes no, never takes no for an answer, who somehow or another faces the biggest giants in California, which is the public safety lobbyist and the school's lobbyist, and look them eye to eye because of what I believe in and what I know California has the potential to become. I want to talk about change, change in California. And change is not easy. Sometimes we have a bright idea and we think, that is so simple. But let me tell you, someone is invested in the status quo. Someone's making their money on it. Someone has made their life on it. Someone's made their reputation. And so when you start talking about bringing change, it is not an easy task. Even in the face of all the negative things we see sometimes, as we saw the last couple of years with police brutality, even with all of that, we had over 20-some-odd bills in the House to talk about body cameras and racial profiling. And out of that 20-some-odd bills, two survived. One that was really just a paper bill. The other one was AB 953, my bill dealing with racial profiling. I felt very strongly that here I am, a woman of color, whose brothers and fathers have been harassed all of their lives. And I don't have the courage to fight for racial profiling data, to change California. If not, then what am I here for? And so it becomes a situation that even when we saw all of the movies and the videos and everything we saw, people were hesitant about bringing change in a critical area in California. Because for so long, people didn't believe it even existed until people got their cell phones and started videotaping and it went beyond Rodney King and it went to everybody's neighborhood and across the nation. Then you would think, oh my God, they will want to change. Well, they didn't. And the battle was great. And so it made me recognize that change is not the easiest thing to do. It is not the easiest thing to do. Even when you have all the data, even when you have the information, people want you to slow down. Don't go so fast. Give us time. Wait. And from generation to generation, people wait on our school systems to get better, on our police forces to get better, on our social, system, social service system to solve its own problems. We wait while millions and millions of people are struggling in poverty and struggling to get an education, struggling in one of the greatest states in the nation, and we're still waiting. I want to talk to you about the things that are important for change. 
When I was teaching at San Diego State, I often used a book that's kind of beat up and battered now. It was called From Poverty to Dignity and I, by Hamden Turner. And this book talked about a lot of things and how do you bring change. But it talked about two things that were really important. And so I wanted you to think about change in the big C and think about three things that, that have to exist for change to occur. One, he talks about competence. Two, he talks about commitment. And three, I talk about courage. Those are the three things that are critical to bring change. You see, it is extremely important that you're competent, that you have the degrees, that you have the material, that you have the information. Because I can guarantee you that someone's going to challenge that information. They're going to challenge that data. They're going to challenge your knowledge and your ability to not only know facts, but to connect them together to arrive at a conclusion about how we bring change. And so you have to be good. You have to be very competent. You have to know your stuff. And although you've mastered this, there's so much more that you will learn about organizations and about agencies and about other data and how you collect it and how you use it and how you use that to inform the policies that you want to make. So it's going to be important, one, that you're prepared, that you are competent and you're there. One of the things Hamlin and Turner talked about was so tragic was to find people in communities who really wanted to bring change, but they had no knowledge. They didn't know anything about the system. They didn't know who to call. They didn't know what door to go through. They didn't know how to deal with the data that was there. And many of them couldn't even read the data, but they had the passion and the drive for change. And so you need those who are change agents to also be highly competent. The second thing you need is, is to, to basically to talk about commitment. Commitment is, is extremely important because without commitment, very little will happen. Ron Edmonds talks about the fact that we know everything he says, we know everything there is to educate children in California or in the nation, everything. He says we lack one thing, and that's the will, the commitment to make it happen. And so as a result, we go in circles and circles and circles with more and more information, more and more data about what's going on because we don't have the will to bring the change. We don't have the commitment to bring the change. And I can tell you it is not something that happens easily and quickly. It takes a lot of focus and a lot of energy to actually talk about change and the commitment that's there. But without commitment, when you only have competence, you have people who have a lot of knowledge but won't do anything. Or you have people who really want to bring change but they don't know where to go. Hamlin Turner says when you put together competence and commitment, you have a, willing, a winning team. You have those who not only know what to do, but who have the will to do it. And that's critical, and that's where you come in, you know, because you've got the knowledge. You've, you've been adequately prepared in one of the best graduate schools in public policy in the world. So you've got that piece of paper. You've got that certification. You've been stamped on the chest. But the bottom line is, do you have the, the commitment? Do you have the desire to bring change? And that commitment comes, obviously, from where you've come from and where, how you see your circumstance and your desire to basically bring the same kind of opportunity and change for others. It is critical when we look at the policies that have been developed over the years that most of those policies do not in any way address the needs of the people of California. When you think of things like the maximum family grant, when you think about all of those ugly things that we had in California, they were not a reflection of the people of California but they were nonetheless the policies of those who were making them. And so it became important for us to talk about how do you bring change? How do you get the change that you want? And how do you make these things happen? It is truly, truly important that you are committed to bringing change. And many people are committed to themselves. I understand that. But there'll be some of you who will be committed to basically taking your degree, being the policy advocates, advocating and giving a voice to those who don't have a voice, 
and speaking up for those who, who, need to be, who need to have you speak up for them. I often tell folks when I, I, when I stand up in the assembly and fight for issues, it's not about Shirley Weber. She's got hers. It's not about me getting reelected because if I don't get reelected, I'm not going to cry. But it, it, but it boils down to be, it boils down to be me representing a group of people whose shoulders I stand on, who gave me an opportunity to be a voice for them, who allowed me to develop policy for them, and, and told me that I could transform California with better policies and better outlook and better opportunities for young people around the world. And so it becomes important that we, that we see ourselves as change agents. So not only do you have to be competent and committed, the last thing is that you must have courage. You must have courage. You know, it's interesting when we think of Dorothy and the, uh, the Wizard of Oz, and one wanted a brain, and one wanted a heart, and another wanted, they wanted courage. They want, one wanted courage. Why? Because Maya Angelou says, without courage, it is impossible to consistently implement your values if you don't have courage. Because someone's going to challenge your values, and can you stand up for those who you walk with every day? Do you have the courage to stop the racist kind of comments that people make? Do you have the courage to, to, to basically change the world? This is talking about having the strength of your convictions to basically stand up and to fight. I can tell you that it takes a lot of courage because people want to, uh, and people want to basically stay as they are. I, I decided when I was a 23-year-old faculty member at San Diego State that those who lack courage when I was untenured and brand new those people who lacked courage during those years, they also lacked courage when they became full professors. It, didn't, it wasn't about not having tenure, and it wasn't about being insecure in your job. It was basically their makeup. They were people who lacked courage. They could not fight the battle. They could not fight a battle that they felt they might lose, and if they lost, then regroup themselves and come forward with another battle. Courage is something that you must have. And I can tell you there will be many who will be out to get you, who will attack you. So you have to have an understanding of self and an appreciation for who you are and how you got to where you are and what your commitment is. We passed AB 953, the racial profiling bill, last year. And I can tell you that there were many sleepless nights. There were people attacking me from every point of view that you could imagine. Even my colleagues in the assembly were nervous and concerned because public safety didn't like the bill on racial profiling, that it was a national bill that would change data collection and hopefully change the trajectory of our police departments and their relationship with the public to give us the data that we needed, simply data. And so we had lots and lots of people complaining about me bringing this bill forward. But most importantly, I had the support of the grassroots people in the assembly the grassroots people who came to the assembly regularly. We had a vigil that occurred for 24 hours for three weeks concerning racial profiling 953 to force the governor to sign that bill because he had decided he would not sign it. And it was really the will of the people. And I felt honored that the people had enough uh, thought of me to basically have me carry this bill, to author this bill. And I can remember sitting in a room with them where we had to make a decision about whether or not I was going to move forward with it as a mandate and a requirement of the state. And in that room, folks had said, well, if you don't make it a mandate, the police will support it, the district attorneys will support it, and so forth and so on. And I sat in that room and I looked, and I looked in the faces of those people who I had worked with for many years. 
I saw the ministers and the advocates and the people in our community who have suffered so long, and all they was asking was for a little girl from Hope, Arkansas, to hold fast, to keep and hold on to it. And I said, let me think about it. And I went home and prayed about the revisions they wanted to make to weaken this bill. And the first thing popped in my mind was surely my father, who had been run out of Arkansas, they were going to lynch him because he refused to say yes, sir, and no, sir, to those who didn't respect him and called him a boy. And I remembered that and I thought, hmm, if my dad could do that, what am I doing? Then I thought about the people on, in Selma, on the bridge, who didn't know what was on the other side of the bridge, but they walked on that bridge with courage because they believed in something greater than themselves. And in essence, they believed in me. And so when I came back the next morning, they were all gathered in my office, and I said, the bill is done. We move forward with it. We forced the governor to sign this bill because this is a just bill, and I am the person who needs to carry this bill because I've never forgotten whence I've come, and I want to hold fast to the dreams that I had about changing California, and I wanted to move forward. So I, encourage, I ask you to, to look at yourself and, and, and begin to recognize the necessity of courage, to think about all those who got you here and how you got here, to think about those who started this school, but also think about your parents and your relatives and your friends who fought so hard just to get you in this position and that you should never forget from whence you've come. Never forget those who, who, who paved the way for you. Never forget that they are counting on you, counting on you to be the change agent for them. They could all, never imagine being in this room themselves, but they're counting on you now because they've laid the foundation for you then to pull us all forward. I am truly honored that as we talk about the issues that are there, that you will take the, 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 the baton from me and so many others, and that you will begin to talk about all those critical issues in California. The persistent achievement gap in our K-12 system has to be dealt with. Our governor says he doesn't believe it can ever happen. It has to happen because it happened for you and it happened for me. And so we have to begin to talk about the achievement gap. We have to deal with the issues of poverty. California has the highest poverty rate of any state in the nation. And yet we're the wealthiest state with the most beautiful uh, homes and places that people live in. And yet we have deep poverty in California. Deep poverty. We have to deal with that. We have to talk about how do we reduce recidivism. How do we change what we're doing in our prisons? And we're slowly making that change. But I fear every day as we talk about change and trying to change our penal system, that every day there comes across my desk and others a bill to take us back, a bill to criminalize more individuals, to take minor offenses and make them felonies and have more time in prison. And it goes on and on and on. People hold on to those things out of fear of what the future might hold. I hope you will be the change agent that is so important. Every day of my life, I live with the reality that nothing is going to happen unless I do it. And somebody says, that's kind of arrogant. I said, no, that puts the fire under me. That makes me realize that when things go bad, I have to ask the question, what is it that I didn't do right? If a child drops out of high school, I want to know, what did I meet that child? Did I see them somewhere? Did I do something that I could have done differently that would rescue that person? None of us should feel like that it's somebody else's job. It's, it's somebody else's America. It's somebody else's future. You should be holding on to the fact that you've got this education, you've got this training, you ought to have that passion, that commitment, and that courage to stand up and fight. I'm going to close with the story that I felt my, one of my best, one of my, one of my persons that I admired the most was Fannie Lou Hamer. And Fannie Lou Hamer, if you haven't read about Fannie Lou Hamer, you need to read about her. 
Fannie Lou Hamer was an amazing woman with a limited education, but yet she fought so hard for people in, Cal in, in Mississippi to have the right to vote and challenged them in the Democratic Party. Fannie Lou Hamer was an amazing woman. But she told a story once about a, an old man who everybody thought was so smart and he knew everything. And these children had decided that since he knows everything, we're going to trick this old man. So we're going to go up to him and we're going to say, oh man, oh man, we know you're the smartest man in the world. And then we're going to have a bird in their hand. And they said, we got a bird in our hand. And can you tell us since you're so smart whether the bird is alive or dead? And the man looked, and, and so they went to the old man. They said, if he says he's alive, we'll crush him and show him that he's dead. But if he says he's dead, we'll open our hands and let him fly free because we're going to win this battle. And so they went to the old man. They said, oh, man, oh, man, you're the smartest man in the world. We've got a bird here in our hand. Can you tell us if he's alive or is he dead? And the old man looked at them and said, his future is in your hands. And that's what you need to understand, that when we talk about what is happening in California, and what is happening in the U.S. and around the world, whether it's climate change or whatever it is, it's not somebody else's job. It is your job. The future of California, the futures of the universities, the future of the United States as we know it, the future of people in the world is really our business. That's who we are. And the future is in our hands. Congratulations. I wish you well. God be with you.